everyone, old friends, new listeners, everybody who took the time to press play on today's episode. I appreciate you. You are listening to Muscle Maven Radio, and I am your host, the Muscle Maven, Ashley Van Houten. Thank you so much for being here. Today's episode, I think, is a very important one. Um, It's important to me personally, but I think it is just a really underserved topic outside of, uh, frankly, pregnancy circles. Um, What we're talking about today with Anita Lambert, who is a registered physiotherapist with a focus on women's health. Um, We are talking about core health. We're talking about diastasis. um, We're talking about pelvic health. Now, I want to say to anybody listening who's like, okay, this doesn't relate to me. Pelvic health is not just a pregnant woman's issue. It's not just a woman's issue. Um, Pelvic health is very crucial, and especially for uh, people who lift heavy, for fit people, for people who have to manage core pressure, have core strength. Uh, It's a really, really important issue. However, it does tend to be something that sort of comes up um, more commonly for pregnant women because you are dealing with so much change um, and challenge in your core and in your pelvic floor during the process of pregnancy, postpartum, giving birth, all of that stuff. And this is, of course, hitting home to me because, as you may or may not know, I, uh, well, when this podcast comes out, I will have had a baby, but currently I'm pregnant. And even before I had any interest or desire or it was a reality for me, um, I always really, really didn't like the narrative around pelvic health for women that if you were a mom, you could expect to kind of pee a little bit when you do double unders, maybe when you lift heavy, um, if you're a power lifter, that women, that's just a thing that happens. And maybe it doesn't even happen because you had a baby. Maybe it's just because you lift heavy weights and that's just what happens to women. Um, and I always really, really, really rejected and, and hated that narrative because it just, I think it speaks to how little respect and care and attention we give specifically to women's health issues. If you're a professional athlete and you injure your shoulder or your ACL or something, you don't say, well, you know, that's what you asked for. You're an athlete. It's going to happen. You're just going to have to deal with this now. We don't say that. We get these people physical therapy and we help them and support them and bring them back uh, to a healed state. And the fact that we, that is not a standard of care for women um, who have given birth is, I think, ridiculous. Um, So I feel very strongly about this. I want more people to know about it. I think more men should know about it. Um, You have a pelvic floor too. I think women who lift and work out really hard should know about it. It's very common for women to pee a little bit, to have diastasis where your core, um, your ability to manage pressure um, in your core isn't optimal. A lot of other pelvic dysfunction issues are very common. It doesn't mean they're normal and it doesn't mean you have to live with it. So um, that's my rant. And now I'm going to let somebody who is very, very experienced in this area talk to you more about these things, like what, for example, diastasis is, um, what pelvic or organ prolapse is, sounds pretty scary, um, other pelvic dysfunction issues that come up and how to address them, how to minimize 
pelvic issues before, during, after pregnancy and childbirth. Um, a big one is talking about what Kegels are and why this very common advice for everyone to just do Kegels, just do Kegels and get a strong pelvic floor is not good advice across the board. How to manage core pressure, um, core strength, build core strength, how to, if you want to work to getting back to doing the things you did before you got pregnant and had a baby um, or before you had a pelvic floor injury, for example. Um, because I, you know, I've been working with a pelvic PT through my pregnancy. And one thing that I said was, I want to do double unders again. I want to squat heavy again. I don't want to stop doing the things that I love to do. So let's figure that out. Um, and that's what I've been trying to do. So there's got to be less fear, more education, more attention, more respect paid on this incredibly crucial part of human physiology. And Anita is going to walk us through all of that and more in this episode. So please, please listen through, share this with somebody. I know that you guys, if it's not you, you know a woman who's had a baby, you know somebody who's complained about these issues. Um, this can really, really change people's lives. So um, without further ado, here is my interview with registered physiotherapist, Anita Lambert. Okay, we're recording. Anita, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Ashley. Yes, I've been following you for a long time. I've been listening to your podcast for a long time, so feel free to plug that a lot in the podcast for anyone who's listening that that wants to get more information. Um, but before I kind of dive into my long list of selfish questions that I want to ask you, I would love for you to just tell listeners a little bit about what you do, what a pelvic health physio um, does for mm -hmm. specifically for pregnant and postpartum women. Yeah. So yeah, so I'm a pelvic health and orthophysio and my practice is focused on pregnancy, birth prep and postpartum recovery. Um, as Ashley mentioned, I co-host the Two Birth and Beyond podcast. Great. And I also, sorry? Great podcast. Oh, perfect. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, no, we have so much fun. Um, so yeah, all the topics range from fertility, pregnancy, birth prep, postpartum, motherhood, pelvic health. And um and I'm also the mom to two little ones who are now five and two. And then I also have my online bump to birth course, which I really wanted to make for people who I couldn't see in clinic to be able to help give them step-by-step -step guidance to have a more comfortable and confident pregnancy, prepare um, mentally and physically for birth and get that head start on the postpartum recovery. So it's very much, that's kind of whether you find me on social media, in clinic, um, or on the podcast, that's really uh, my main focus. Awesome. Um, so many questions. I'll try to start like maybe sort of generically and then like drill down a little bit. But um, first of all, do you feel like, and maybe social media um, can be thanked for this, even though social media causes a lot of, probably causes as many problems as it fixes, but do you feel that social media has made um, pelvic health for women, um, more visible and as a result, more pregnant or, you know, pre-pregnancy, post-pregnancy women are getting into this. Do you feel like more women are doing it? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Cause I would say I, um, so I've been a physio now for, uh, almost 11 years and I got into the pelvic health side, um, over six years ago. And I think back then, um, 
I mean, it's been a huge change in social media. So I would say, yes, definitely. There's more information being out there. But like you mentioned, it's not always accurate or up to date, or there's things that maybe we taught, like, again, six years ago, when I first started, that is still being taught now, but now that information is out of date. So I'd say there's like pros and cons to it, but I'd say overall, just the increase in awareness and for people to know there is help and they're not alone if they're having um, symptoms like pain or pelvic floor symptoms in pregnancy or postpartum. So I think overall, it is a really positive thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it does seem like one of those, and I don't want to like launch directly into like a feminist tirade right off the bat, but I do feel like it, it's something that always frustrated me before this was a personal issue for me. And it was just, you know, a women's health issue that I, I touched on or covered in my line of work. I always thought it was interesting that there was this overarching narrative of, if you have a baby, this is what will happen to you and you should accept it and you should be grateful because you carried a life and this is just what happens as opposed to like any other medical issue in history where if you had like a sports injury or if you had yeah like a like a hip injury or a some kind of soft tissue anything you'd be like okay well let's let's go to the correct pt person let's like look at how we can rehab this let's get you back to feeling and performing well and with this specific issue it's a very women specific issue. It was like, look, you're probably just going to pee a little. You're probably just going to have kind of a weird midsection that you feel uncomfortable about. It is what it is, you know? And I always, yeah. I always had a problem with that because it just didn't seem right. And so the fact that there are more voices like yours out there now that are like, this isn't, that isn't a, a life sentence. That isn't the reality. There's plenty that you can do. And there's plenty you can do proactively as well as reactively, like after the fact, um, which I think is important. But maybe we can also talk a little bit about the clients that you do see, what um, tends to be their main concern. Let's start with like pregnant women, for example. Yeah. Um, what tends to be their main concern or main areas of, of you know issue that they're coming to you with? Yeah, I love that you mentioned that because before I got into pelvic health, my focus was um, sport and dance injuries. So, I mean, it's super common for if someone had any sort of injury, for even like an ACL uh, tear, of course, you're going to do physio before um, if you are a surgical candidate. And of course, you're going to do it after. So I bring that into the clinic, too. So in terms of pregnancy, um, I would say for people who are symptomatic, I would say leaking pee, especially with sneezing, coughing, any type of exercise, super common, um, but also pelvic girdle pain, which is really an umbrella term for SI, hip, tailbone, pubic symphysis pain, um, lumbopelvic, so low back pain. Those I would say are the, the most common, but there are many others too um, that people do come in in pregnancy. But then what's been amazing is I'm seeing more and more people do almost that uh, like prehab or trying to get ahead of things. So they're coming in going, I don't have any symptoms right now, but I want to do whatever I can to prepare my body, prepare my mind for labor. Cause I've heard from my friends or family, you know, what can come up during pregnancy, birth or postpartum. So let's work on stuff to get ahead of that as much as we can. So yeah. that's been super exciting to see as well. 
Okay. And you currently, so you're in Ontario, right? Mm -hmm. So, so am I just in a different place. And so we're well aware of the limitations and the challenges that we've been going through right now with, um, you know, pandemic and restrictions and things like that, but you're able to see clients in person right now. Yes. So that is a good point. There was a period of time initially where it was only virtual and now we do something called a hybrid model. So we see people virtually and in person. Um, And what's fantastic, because like you mentioned, being in Ontario as physios, we can see anyone within our province. So there's people I see who will never be able to see me in person because they live hours away. Um, But we can still work together, which is so amazing and still get pretty awesome results. Yeah, that's great. And I think we have a focus today in the call, but I just want for any kind of woman or anybody listening, I'd like to also kind of touch on the fact that this sort of um, incontinence issue and also even just like pelvic pain or pelvic floor, maybe overactivity or underactivity or whatever we can talk about, like these things are not exclusive to pregnant or postpartum women, and and even men can have these issues too. Um, Women, maybe we have a bit more going on down there. So there's like maybe more opportunity for us to experience issues, I would maybe assume. But but I think it's worth pointing out that that's not necessarily just a pregnant woman's issue, right? Yeah. Oh, exactly. And I mean, there's also physios who have a focus on pediatric pelvic health, which does look a little bit different in terms of the physical examination. They don't do necessarily internal exams, but, and I've seen some adolescents in my practice. And so even without doing an internal, there's a ton that can um, really help. So if you're listening, you may actually have had pelvic floor issues earlier on, let's say if you're currently postpartum or pregnant, but you're like, actually, I had some issues when I was like 12, which is more common than people think. So I think that really is good, Ashley, to point out of it's not just pregnancy and postpartum. It's like any stage in life. And yes, um, men or women can both experience public floor issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, would you, this is maybe too generic of a question, but would you, would People, women who are experiencing pelvic floor issues, whether it's just incontinence or like pain during sex or like any kind of thing that they could be experiencing um, that have not been pregnant, have not had a child, any of that stuff, would they, would that physical therapy or that approach look inherently different than someone who did have a child? Or is it just completely independent of the individual, how you would approach it? Yeah, it would be the second. So it would be, there can be a ton of similarities. Um, When I'm seeing someone in pregnancy, we're also adding the birth prep, labor prep, postpartum recovery prep on top of the um, whatever we're focusing on, but overall it will look quite similar. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let's kind of like dig down a little bit for people um, about what the pelvic floor is why it is so important. And one of those things that we just like totally take for granted until there's an issue Um, and what some of the major causes are. And I can speak a little bit to my own um, kind of personal experience because I'm totally one of those women who I've always been into like fitness and working out and lifting weights and stuff. And I just like literally never thought about it because I didn't have any of these like while I do double unders kind of issues or anything like that. It it was just something I never thought about. I thought that's for 
older people or people who have babies all worry about that when the time comes. Well, the time is coming now. I'm pregnant and I'm experiencing some, some issues that I, um, probably, I guess I didn't expect. Like, I think no one knows what to expect when you get pregnant for the first time, but I was like, worst that's going to happen. I'm going to be nauseous for a couple of months. I didn't get any of that, but I got a fair bit of pelvic girdle pain and ligament mm-hmm. pain. Um, and it seems to me, we won't talk just about my issues this whole time, but it seems to me that what kind of happened with me was some misalignment imbalance issues that I've always had and been kind of aware of um, that are exacerbated now by all these changes that are going on in my body. So having kind of a misaligned um, pelvis um, and things like that, where before it was like, well, I just always kind of have a tight low back pain on my left side. Cause you know, it's like the whole thing, what are you going to do? And it, it, you know, ramped up considerably with all these other changes that are going on in my body. Um, so maybe if you could kind of just from like the top down, talk mm-hmm. about like what pelvic, health means for a Mm -hmm. pregnant or, you know, pregnant and postpartum woman, like what's going on in there? Why is Mm -hmm. this, why Mm -hmm. is this like collection of muscles and ligaments and everything so crucial? Mm -hmm. And yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's a big, big question. So let me know, make sure I I break it down. Um, But even starting with getting an idea of, you know, what is our pelvic floor? Because I think that's the common misconception is people are told do Kegels if you're pregnant, you had a baby and everyone's like, I don't know what those are. Um, So the actual muscles, they attach from your pubic bone in the front all the way to your tailbone at the back and side side to side from sit bone to sit bone. So it's this kind of diamond shape you can picture um, at the bottom of your pelvis. And there's actually three layers to those muscles. They're really important. So they stop us from leaking um, pee, stool, and gas. They support our back, our tailbone, our sacrum. Um, They also support our pelvic organs. So our bladder, our uterus, and our rectum. And then if we're pregnant, then they're also supporting baby along with that. Um, They have a sexual function as well. So they can contribute um, in terms of not only orgasm, but also if you have internal pain with any type of penetration. So that is kind of, I think, a common symptom I see in the clinic that people aren't told about can be pelvic floor related. and, and then they also are a part of like a sub pump within the pelvis. So they're helping um, circulation in the lymphatic system. So there are a lot of, uh, these muscles are just basically very important and do not get the awareness they deserve. Um, but then also I always talk about day one with my clients is, When it comes to the pelvic floor, it doesn't work in isolation. So especially if you come from a fitness background, you know when you're doing anything, um, it's not just one muscle doing it. Like you do a deadlift and you can't pinpoint one muscle doing that. So it's the same with the pelvic floor and any pelvic floor symptoms. There's a whole core system involved. Um, There's also the rest of your body. There's a pressure management system. So it is something I think clients are also surprised about that it's like, yes, we're going to look at the pelvic floor, but it's, it's a bigger system than that. And for some people too, their symptoms, while they're considered pelvic floor um, symptoms, so for example, let's say leaking pee with skipping or like double unders, for some people, it has nothing to do with their pelvic floor strength. It's actually all to do with the pressure above their pelvic floor. And can we manage that better? And then their symptoms go away. So for listeners to get an idea, it is a bigger picture. So when I talk about the core canister, 
if you picture the pelvic floor as the bottom of that canister, and then we have our diaphragm, so our deep breathing muscle that sits under our ribs, that's the top. And they really work as a team. So when we breathe in, the diaphragm lowers, it lets air in, pelvic floor relaxes. We breathe out, the diaphragm lifts, air comes out, and so does the pelvic floor. So there's this synergistic movement happening there, but then also our layers of the abdomen, especially that deepest layer, the transverse abdominis is also part of that system. So even if you're listening, just getting a picture or visual of that could actually really help with symptoms. So that's the the core canister part. Um, And so we bring that all together in, and within pregnancy, there's changes your body goes through. However, and I know Ashley, you mentioned that, um, I mean, there's so much on social media, right? There are, again, there's kind of information that let's say we talked about years ago that now has shifted. So relaxin typically has been given a really bad name. Like if you have pelvic pain, it's got to be because of relaxin levels. We actually look at, when you look at the research, pelvic girdle pain and relaxin levels are not related. So we know it's actually not due to relax. And there are many reasons why we experience pelvic girdle pain, um, but it's typically not to do with relaxing levels. And even, um, I know a lot of times people do get told kind of misalignment in that as well. And that's also challenging too, because it can feel misaligned. Mm-hmm. But again, when we look at the actual structure of the pelvis, it's actually quite stable. So it could be, is there tension in the area or that area we know in pregnancy can become more sensitive. So maybe um, movement patterns or daily activities that weren't troublesome before happen to kind of be brought up in pregnancy more. And there's so many factors, even mental, um, mental, physical, and emotional stress impacts the, our pain experience. So there are so there's so many layers when it comes to, uh, for example, pelvic girdle pain, but pelvic floor symptoms in general. So I love going through that and kind of busting some myths because even that alone can actually change someone's symptoms or experience. Yeah. Okay. There's so, so much here. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the relaxing thing I think checks out for my personal experience too, because I feel like I've heard over and over again, like this relaxing will kick in. You're going to be like hyper mobile, like that could cause some problems. You're going to be so flexible. I'm like, I am so tight right now. I don't know what you pregnant women are talking about. Cause I can like barely, I can't touch my toes anymore. Like it's a whole thing. So I don't think this relaxing is really the thing that's causing my, causing my issues. Um, but let's go back maybe, and I don't know, we'll try to like work our way from the bottom to the top instead of the other way, but the Kegels thing, because I do think that as with any big health topic, there are a few like sort of key things that kind of make their way to the mainstream that everyone hears about, even if they don't know really what we're talking about. Everybody thinks they know, or has certainly heard what Kegels are. They've heard of Kegels. Um, and everyone kind of might think it's like this, you know, you just, you just clench. That's what a Kegel is, whatever. Um, but people, I think what women hear mostly is that if you are having a little leakage when you sneeze or you laugh, or if you're having what you think might be any kind of pelvic health issues, that is like the first line of defense. That's what you should do when it seems to be the more I research and I've, I've gone, I've started going to a a pelvic PT because I'm trying to be like kind of proactive. I suppose if I was really being proactive, I would have done this before I got pregnant, but now I'm being like, you know, proactive as in before the baby comes. So that's great. Mm -hmm. Um, But 
you know, a lot of people tend to have an overly tight um, pelvic floor or an inability to relax it maybe as much as they should or appropriately or whatever. And just telling people like clench all the time isn't necessarily going to be um, the best option. So can you kind of speak to like why, why that became such a pervasive kind of piece of information, but also maybe when they are helpful, when they're not helpful, what they're really doing, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I think it is good to go back to like, what even is a Kegel? And I typically, I don't use the term Kegel just because people do have a traditional, when they hear Kegel, they're like, okay, it's a clench. And so you'll hear me if, you know, social media podcasts, I talk about it's, I call it a core breath or a core canister breath. So you're actually getting a squeeze and lift of these muscles. So how I said off the top, cause they attach pubic bone to tailbone, they extend quite far, like quite long lengthwise. So we do want to get both the vaginal area of thinking of lifting, but also around the anal sphincter. So this front and back idea. So we want to squeeze and lift and a relaxation. So that really is what a pelvic floor contraction is, is there's a squeeze and lift and a relax part to it. And how you mentioned, most people are just told, okay, I'm just going to clench, clench, clench. And that's all we kind of associate with those muscles. And especially in pregnancy, when it comes to birth, if all you know how to do and tighten, tighten these muscles, it's going to be hard for you to connect, to let go. And in the event of labor, it, it, I always tell my clients, especially if you're athletes, strength, fantastic. Labor is about surrendering and letting go. If anything else, that is how you're going to prepare the best for labor. Um, so yeah, strength, important, but you got to learn to let go and let go of that tension and find strategies that work for you. Um, so even how you mentioned, Ashley, in terms of that tension, right? So mobility work is amazing. And I work with my clients of like, I want you to keep up your strength work. Can we incorporate mobility into your workout somehow? Um, could we incorporate it between certain exercises or the start and the end of your workout or, you know, somehow fitting it in so you have more of a balance versus just only strength? Um, so, yeah. So in terms of a Kegel, hopefully that helps give you that idea. But then also we bring the breath into it. So how I talked about that core canister, when you breathe in, you're relaxing your pelvic floor. When you breathe out, you're doing that squeeze and lift. Um, and if you're listening, a good visual I start with is if you picture two blueberries, one at your vaginal opening, one at your anal sphincter. You breathe in, you let the blueberries stay relaxed. As you breathe out, you're going to squeeze and lift them up and in. And then you breathe in and you lower them again. So you may have to listen to that a couple of times. Because uh, it get my can... head around this visual. It's an interesting one. Because, <laughs> and it feels backwards. So if you're also trying this at home and you're like, but I thought I would breathe in and squeeze and breathe out and then let it go. But then if you think about what that diaphragm is doing, that's why I like to use visuals a lot. It's hard on a podcast to do it. But if you can kind of picture this, it can really help you get that coordination. Um, so typically I will have people do, yes, the strength component. But the other part too is get people moving because traditionally it's like do Kegels at a stop sign um, do them just, you know, lying down. But I'm like, if you're leaking, doing, you know, anything standing up, then that might not translate. So I have people start in whatever position they connect best with, and then we get them moving. So we may bring it into squats and lunges and different movements. 
And then when we're adding impact, which may be more so postpartum, then we're focusing on the breath to reflexively help the pelvic floor do what it needs to do. So if you're listening and you're leaking with double unders, box jumps, anything with impact, you want it to get to the point that you're not actually thinking of these blueberries with those movements because there's too much happening. It's more about the breath and the diaphragm at that point. Um, so that's kind of a little aside for, for impact, but is that helpful kind of picturing, does that answer your question about the Kegels? It's very helpful. And it also, yeah. I'm glad that you touched on, I, this is just like anything else. It takes practice. Um, because when I was first hearing about the breathing and how you kind of incorporate the Kegel sort of aspect into it, it did seem opposite to me because we're so used to, even in like some kind of yoga breathing or something where you're kind of like bringing it all in and then whoosh, letting it out. And that does seem counterintuitive to the, like the, the Kegel part when you're exhaling. Um, but I also think that one of the key things for people to remember here, what you're saying is that with this breath or with this contraction or Kegel, whatever word you want to use, the letting go, the release of it is as important, if not more than the clenching part of it. Cause probably at the end of the day, most women, we know how to clench. Like we can do that. Like everyone can, you know, most people I would imagine, like, you know, how to like stop your flow of urine or whatever, but a lot of people, and I'm one of those people I learned is walking around clenched up all the time. And some of this is like, you know, bodybuilding backgrounds, like weightlifting background. Like I'm just used to everything from my core to my, the bottom, just being like, just clenched all the time. Um, and that's not, like you said, probably not conducive to, a um, easier birth. Yeah. So that's the work that I got to do. And that was me. That was my background before, like, even as a physio, before I added public health, cause I grew up very strong in dance, specifically ballet, but also as an athlete, when I first had my pelvic floor assessed, I had a lot of tension um, and worked on that even before my first pregnancy and that. But I think it's super common when you come from that background. And there's a lot of reasons I think it's good to go into like even why this idea of tension or how you mentioned overactivation. There's so many terms for it is that it comes from it's a protective mechanism. So, yes, if you've given birth and you had a tear and episiotomy, you might have tension around the scar. So yes, there is kind of, there's a physical almost like outcome of that. There might be tension there, but then you can also have it for other reasons. And it can often be, again, stress related. So when we look at our nervous system, a way it actually protects us, the first muscle that comes on, if we're stressed or scared, they've actually researched it. It's your pelvic floor. So it's your body's way of protecting you, even if that's not your, um, not your idea to do that. But that's where often, you know, pain, like I said, with penetration, intercourse, anything internal, but also pelvic girdle pain, it can come from, it's a protection mechanism from our nervous system. So we don't want to just look at the physical muscles. We're also going into, if someone is pregnant, we're going into, okay, what are your concerns around pregnancy and birth and postpartum? Is there any underlying stress or fears around support or lack of support? Or what are you scared of most in birth? And for a lot of my clients, tearing is like one of the, the number one things. So as we start to 
work through those fears and give them more, you know, power and control over what they can learn about it and techniques they can use before, but also during labor, even that starts to minimize symptoms because if they, if they do tend to be like hold tension in their pelvic floor, that can already start to dissipate that just by having or, you know, management strategies in that too. Cause I tell clients, I'm going to be real. It's not like we're going to magically get rid of stress because it's a part of life. And right now with where we are in terms of in 2021, there's been an underlying stress since March, 2020, and we're not going to get rid of that, but we can find strategies that work for us individually. How can we help our stress or anxiety or anything in the moment which surprisingly can help our pain or pelvic floor symptoms. So that's very much tied together with pelvic physio. Um, And I do recommend anyone, if you're pregnant, it's like if you're having pain, start sorting through some of those fears or concerns that you may not have thought of, but can actually make a big difference with your symptoms. All right. I'm interrupting the podcast, but it's for a good reason. I'm talking about snacks, guys. Okay. Very important topic. Uh, topic that is near and dear to my heart because no matter how strict or healthy or crazy I get with my diet, I like to eat and I like snacks and I like treats that are healthy, that make me feel good, that don't make me feel like crap, but also I know are giving me nutrition and don't taste like I'm settling for something healthy. So all that to say, I'm very excited that we have yet another new partner for the show. This is a company that I've actually been a fan of for a really long time, um, but just recently connected with and learned a bit more about how they do things, um, how high quality and next level their products actually are. Um, I was always impressed with them, but even more so now that I've had time to chat with the founder Autumn Smith, co-founder of Paleo Valley. Um, They make a number of supplements, which I can talk about at a later date. You can go check everything out at paleovalley.com. But I'm talking today about their superfood bars and their 100% grass-fed fermented beef sticks. They're so delicious. They come in a bunch of flavors. Um, I've been eating the beef sticks and their chocolate, I think double chocolate superfood bars, um, dark chocolate chip, that's right. Uh, every day um, because they sent them to me and I'm thinking, okay, these are grass-fed bone broth protein. They've got a ton of superfoods, including things like greens and broccoli and like greens powders, kale, stuff like that, which normally I'd be like, yeah, that's not really for me. I just give me the protein and the meat and the chocolate. Um, But these bars are really good. They taste like food. They don't taste like a lot of the um, sort of healthy or low carb or keto bars out there that are just full of like lab created sugars and chemicals. Um, They've got a ton of health benefits, blueberries, turmeric, ginger, Himalayan uh, salt, pumpkin seeds, and then of course chocolate. Um, So they've got protein, they're pretty low carb, decent amount of fat, they're just delicious. Um, Gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, all of that, low in sugar. Um, So they're delicious. And if you are somebody like me who wants to eat chocolate from time to time, who likes a protein bar when they, you know, go out for the day and want to have a snack, this is absolutely the kind of product that I think would be great for you. Um, So check them out. Go to paleovalley.com. I have a discount code. It's MMR. 
So that's Muscle Maven Radio, MMR, for 15% off. Um, they're just awesome treats to have around, snacks to have on the go. If you're an outdoorsy person, if you, you know, don't want to wait to get home and make your own food or go to the gas station and get whatever nightmare they have there, this is the kind of smart snacking that you want to do. So I'm super impressed with this company. I will continue to tell you more about them and what they offer um, as we move forward, but just kind of wanted to put this note um, out there. If you're a snacker like me, this is kind of one of the best ways you can you can do it. So go check out Paleo Valley. I appreciate that they are partnering with me and supporting the show. Paleovalley.com, code MMR, get on it. Dark chocolate chip superfood bar. So good. All right, now back to the show. Does not surprise me that this has a large mental component to it. Yeah. Um, and it also being a human woman does not surprise me that tearing is a major source of fear, even though it's also a very common and in many cases, mm-hmm. normal, natural result of birth. Honestly, um, let's be real. That's a very scary thing to contemplate, especially if you've never given birth before. That's an area you don't really like the idea of it tearing in any way. So I get it. I'm working through that myself. Um, but I guess maybe let's, let's switch a little bit and talk a little bit more about the breathing component and the core component. So moving our way up because another big, um, part of this sort of core health, women's health, pelvic health thing, especially as it relates to pregnancy and postpartum is diastasis, um, and your ability to kind of do the, the physical activity that you did before you were pregnant. Um, does this mean like the stretching of the, of the ab muscles, does this mean that they'll always be that way, that your stomach's always going to look a certain way, that it's not going to work the same way that it did before. Um, and there is still like, I still feel, even as somebody who's doing like a fair bit of research in this area, I do still feel like there is kind of like a pervasive, um, message that it's like, you won't be the same. Um, you can improve things, but like, let's be realistic. You're growing a baby. Things are going to change. It is what it is. And there's part of me that kind of appreciates the messaging of don't be so hard on yourself. You shouldn't expect to be the same when you're 18 as when you're 40 and have had three kids or something. You know what I mean? But there's also this part of me that's like, I, I just don't like to hear that, I'm never going to be the same again. I don't like to hear it. So I guess like, let's talk through this a little bit. And maybe if you could start by explaining what I'm talking about when I stay, mm-hmm. when I say diastasis and what's happening yeah. to our core, and then we'll kind of go from there. Totally. No, I think that's great. Cause diastasis, just like pelvic girdle pain, there's a lot of myths. There's a lot of outdated info. So I think this is great. So the traditional definition of diastasis is when the space between your six pack muscles, your kind of your main abdominal muscles is two fingers or more wide. And there's so much more to it at this point that we know, because it's not, it's not really about the, the quote unquote gap. And it's not that there's a, it's not a, it's not a cut through that tissue. That would be a hernia. It's that the connective tissue between your abdominal muscles has stretched. It's called the linea alba. And there is research to show by the third trimester, everyone will have a degree of diastasis. And I would say it's typically true. Anyone I, I kind of check. And that was true for me too. So it is one of those things to know it is very common. And like, 
if you think it's pretty brilliant, like your uterus has to expand, your abdomen has to expand to grow this baby or babies. So it's going to happen. So it's no, okay, this is likely going to happen. And so, you know, knowing how to connect to the pelvic floor and core during pregnancy can be great um, and building it into exercise and also knowing how to um, modify, um, scale certain movements depending on what exercise is your preference in pregnancy can be helpful. But it is good to know there is nothing out there to show that you can like prevent it because I see that all over social media. And I really wish we could like move past that. And for people to know, okay, this can be common and a very natural part of being pregnant. But are there things I could do to help, you know, like support my body the best, keep me feeling great, and then postpartum, to know in those first eight weeks postpartum, there's a lot of um, spontaneous healing of the abdomen tissue. So a ton can change in those eight weeks. And then oftentimes people need a little bit more guidance beyond that. Um, it's, it's very common and it doesn't mean anything is wrong. Um, and to know too, that how he said like that two finger width, you may have more than that. And especially if you're going into a subsequent pregnancy, you may go in with that already or more. It's not so much about the gap. It's about we're looking at a few things. So that connective tissue, we're looking at tension. So if you picture um, even like an exercise band, it's that idea, it's stretching. And then even if you were to recoil it, it may still stay a little bit apart. So your abdomen might stay a little bit separated, but it's the tissue in between. We want that to be able to get taut again. That's more what we're looking at. We're also looking at the actual abdominal wall because your muscles can stretch. It's not just this tissue in between. Other things are going to stretch. So we want to look at that postpartum and loading that tissue. So you may see on social media more, there is now more of a focus on we do need to load it. We need to progressively load the tissue and progressively load your abdomen. So sit-ups and crunches aren't the worst thing in the world. Um, that used to be the narrative. Um, it's more about we. you just need some guidance on what to do when and how to gradually challenge your tissue to get the kind of the most change or to feel the most effect from it. So to know if your abdomen stays a bit apart, it's not going to necessarily mean function wise, it's going to affect you. Um, some people are concerned with the look. There are people who I've seen who do have a few finger widths and you wouldn't know. And then there's other people I see who are convinced they have diastasis because of their abdomen appearance and I check and I'm like, you don't have any separation and you have amazing tension. So I think it's good to know you can't, you can't assume based on the appearance of someone's abdomen what is going on. And if you can, to get a proper assessment so you're getting real information about your abdomen. So I think kind of what you talked about, Ashley, I get that. I mean, I've gone through it twice where you're just like, but I want to, I still want to feel strong. And I want, like, I, I still want to feel like myself postpartum. And there are so many layers to that. Um, and for you to know that you, I have clients who are like, I feel stronger postpartum than I ever did before I had kids. Cause they actually now know how to focus right. on areas they never thought about before, or even running super. I see a lot of runners all all you know variations of you know from marathon to like i want to run you know a couple k on the weekend and 
so many clients are like, I feel more efficient and I'm a faster runner postpartum than I ever was. Cause now I'm actually learning to connect to my body. Um, I know about my pelvic floor. Now I know how to use my breath to my advantage. I know how to use mobility work to get my body to actually be faster. Mm -hmm. So to know for you and also for anyone listening that I tell people your body is different postpartum because you grew and birthed a baby. However you birth vaginally or by cesarean, that's a, that's a, your body went through that. So you can't necessarily go back because your body can never undo giving birth, but that doesn't necessarily mean your body can't be as strong or stronger that you can't feel as good or better um, in your postpartum body, which could be, you know, any stage postpartum. Okay. That's a message that makes me happier. So I appreciate that. Um, okay. So let's talk a little bit about, um, managing, managing the pressure, um, getting back to tension, how that relates to breathing, all of that stuff. So first you said, and I just want to confirm this, that in many cases, maybe the majority of cases, if you have a relatively, I don't even know what the proper word, I don't want to say easy birth, but like relatively complication free birth, let's say, mm-hmm. um, in the following months, there is going to be some healing of your, the muscles and, and fascia of your midsection where like the, some of this diastasis that's happening is going to naturally heal and come back to a certain degree for some, for many people. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like some of this is going to happen naturally, whether you're doing anything or not. Is that's accurate to say? Yeah. Yeah, there is. And that's a, I think it's a good point. Um, again, social media loves black and white when it comes to things. And there is so much gray because something I do want to point out too is genetics does play a role with our tissue, especially our connective tissue. So for some people, they do all the things and then postpartum, maybe they, they have to work hard on tension or maybe they don't necessarily get the tension um, that they want. But then also we have to look at, okay, what guidance were they given in loading the tissue? But for some people, they can do all the things And it ends up being that it's a connective tissue um, reason for it. So to know that, yes, there can be, and it's going to vary for everyone. Um, And I wish there was a way to say, like, if you were this active in pregnancy, then like, this is what you're going to get postpartum. But I've seen people who were super sedentary have, you know, both ways postpartum and people who were very, you know, high level athletes have different situations postpartum. So there can be variations, but in general, yeah, there is that, that initial healing and then um, often more happening beyond that time. It's kind of like stretch marks. It's like you have your like ancestors to thank for that, whether you get them or not. Like you can do, yeah. you can rub your belly down all you want, but at the end of the day, yeah. genetics are going to play a part in that. Um, yeah. Okay. So now I want to talk a little bit about, like you said, you can't always just tell by looking at somebody afterwards or during or anything, like what's actually happening, the degree of separation that's happening. But one thing that does seem to be quite apparent in pregnancy and postpartum that. I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, can be an indication of your not managing the pressure optimally in your midsection is this coning or doming effect that happens in the stomach. And like, maybe when I post this on social media, I can try to find some pictures or something to show what this looks like, but I've have experienced it very 
mildly in myself, um, quite early on, which has like stopped me from doing a lot of exercise. Cause it freaked me out, frankly. Um, and I would love for you to kind of talk about, cause I have read some places like it's not necessarily a sign that you're doing damage. It's not like a scary, terrible thing, but it is kind of giving you information. Um, to me, I felt like it was giving me information. Don't do the thing that's making your stomach look like that. Um, and I was quite surprised again at how early it happened. Cause I was noticing this, like before I even was very visibly anything, it was just like my, I could, I felt, I personally felt a lot of like stretching and weird ab discomfort quite early on. And I wonder if some of it is just, I have like, you know, humble brag, but I have pretty tight abs to begin with. Also, I was quite aware of it. Like I was very hyper aware of what was going on. So maybe I was just like more like paying attention to it maybe than I needed to. But if you could kind of speak to like what's happening when we're seeing that doming, is it necessarily bad? Is it damaging? What is it telling us? What do we do with it? All that. Yeah. No, I think, and I love how you talked about it's giving you information. That's what I find with any public floor symptom, but this specifically about diastasis or the um, anything with the lineal, but just think of it as information. So if you're getting out of bed one day or you're exercising and you notice it to know that like you didn't suddenly injure yourself, it's just giving you information. So it really depends what the movement is, but could we do it differently so that maybe we're managing the pressure a little bit more? And it depends also where you are in pregnancy. Like there will be points, especially as you get further on where like you can try to modify everything you want and it's just, your body is like, can you give me another way to do this? And then maybe we'll, tr- we'll get back to this postpartum. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's good for people to know you're not injuring it, but like, do you want to repeat that same movement like a hundred times? So if you're like doing sit-ups and crunches and then you get to a point where you see some domain, like, would it be the best idea to keep doing it? No, we've got so many other strategies um, that you're still going to work the abdomen in a great way, um, but that you can you know, manage your pressure better. And then the same postpartum. So, and we want to look at if you're seeing someone and it's for diastasis, they should be checking it in all different positions. So traditionally it's on your back with this little bit of a, a head lift great. That's going to give you one set of information. However, we don't live our lives in that position. So I'm checking people when we're doing planks. So in pregnancy, there does get to a point where like, if you're doing, if you're used to doing planks on the floor, you're going to get to a point where you're just like, I'm seeing doming. I can change my breath pattern. I can engage differently. I cannot engage. I, this is just happening. So what I do is then I start elevating people. So then we might go from the floor to their knees to a box height and then to like back of the couch height. And then a lot of people can continue doing that. Same with push-ups, even all the way till the end of pregnancy. And they're like, I feel good. Like I'm doing this. It's still challenging. I'm just at a different angle. And then postpartum, we usually start at a higher angle and then work our way back down to the floor. So I think it is great for people to know if you notice that, It's just letting you know about pressure in the system. That's where it's going. Could we adjust things to have a little bit less stress on the abdomen, but it's not that you injured it and it's not that you have to completely stop. It's all about, you know, modifying or finding a new strategy or a replacement for that. And just 
physically speaking, when mm-hmm. you're seeing the middle and this doming that I keep talking about is like the middle of your belly. It's like, say yeah. you're doing a crunch and all of a sudden you notice that like your stomach's almost like tenting up in the middle. So that's where yeah. that linea alba that goes along the middle is kind of like almost pushing its way up. Whereas normally it would stay flat. Mm-hmm. Physically, is it that like the air, the like breath that you're taking in is being pushed up and it's this more lax ligament that's just it's it can't hold in the pressure like what physically is happening when doming is happening yeah it is there like the pressure within the abdomen that that happens to be where it's going but it is good to know too um let's say you see some doming it's not necessarily that whole dome is your linea alba it's also i mean you might have a small amount of that quote-unquote diastasis happening and it could be then also your uh, your abdomen around that area is also getting pressure out so to know the actual kind of length or width I guess of the doming doesn't necessarily correlate to that is what my linea alba is doing that can also be your muscles in general having that's where the the, the path of least resistance is that's where the pressure is going. Um, And for everyone, it's a bit different. And I know we haven't really talked about pelvic organ prolapse. um, And that is more referring to bladder, uterus, or rectum that can be lowering towards the vaginal canal within the canal. Um, So for some people, that's where the pressure system goes. It's not as much on the abdomen, it's more downward. So that's where we're, we're always talking about pressure management. Can we find a way to make this feel more efficient for you um, so that you can keep doing what you love doing, but not necessarily be um, symptomatic. Yeah. Okay. Um, This may be too individual of a question to ask, and especially on a podcast. So let me know. Um, And this is why I would recommend everybody see a pelvic PT. um, And I'm going to continue to see one postpartum and all of that, because I really want to make this a priority for my own health. Um, but if you are pregnant and you're generally feeling good and you're exercising and you're doing push-ups or planks or some kind of ab stuff, and you're seeing some mild doming, what do you, are there any overarching breath type practices you would recommend if someone was like, I want to see if I can kind of continue to do this Mm -hmm. and not have this response instead of just giving up the movement entirely. Mm -hmm. Like, are there any recommendations? Yeah. So that's where, and this would be pregnancy or postpartum. So some people will be like, okay, check in with your breath. Are you even breathing? Are are you breath holding? Because sometimes that's causing it. So I'll have them use their exhale during it or that core breath I was talking about. So that inhale, exhale, engage, inhale, release. I'll have them try those two um, strategies with it as well to see if we can oppose that. Um, And then the other thing is just changing the angle, like I mentioned too. Um, Those are some different strategies that you can try to see if you can connect and manage that pressure a bit differently. That's another one that's going to be a little bit tough for me that I've been seeing. I think you talking about and other um, professionals as well is the breathing through a movement rather than holding your breath. And like to a certain extent, I know that you're not supposed to be holding your breath throughout all of exercise. However, um, a lot of times and it still is common and probably appropriate for some people, just not pregnant women or postpartum women. For example, if you're doing like a heavy squat, you kind of brace your core, sort of hold it in and you execute this movement. Whereas I'm being told now it's like when you're doing the 
the more exertion part of a movement, you should be exhaling through that that part, mm-hmm. um, which again, to me, I, I almost have to like relearn it. It feels counterintuitive because I'm like, if I'm doing a, a loaded movement and it's kind of tough, if I'm letting my breath out, that's not making my core strong. Mm-hmm. So can you tell me yeah. that I, why I'm wrong? <laughs> yeah. So this is good to bring up because there's a few different breathing strategies. And I think it also depends to how heavy you're lifting. So if you're doing, and I mean, in pregnancy, you know, we can get into so many different levels about like, if you're still working at like working out with the same weight and stuff, but like, if you're doing a one rep max, that's going to be a different breath work than if you're doing like 50, 60%, then you'll find you can use different strategies. So I think it is good to know breath hold isn't necessarily a bad thing, but could we use it a little bit differently? So a strategy I like to use with clients, if they are lifting heavier and going above that percentage is, um, they do their inhale, exhale, let a little bit of air out, then they hold and they go into it. So it's almost about letting a little bit of that air out. So you're not having that, that quite the same pressure. So I find that can work too for people who are lifting heavier. Um, the other thing too, some people find helpful is actually do an inhale, exhale, engage, then maintain that through the movement. So they actually almost do the inhale, exhale, engage first, and then go through the movement. And they're like, that helps with symptoms. So I think it really depends on how heavy you're lifting um, and then experimenting too. Because I know it can be different if you're used to breath holding for like any any lift um, or depending on squats and stuff. But um, I find when you play around with the different strategies and see um, you'll be able to find something that works for you. But yeah, the breath hold isn't, isn't necessarily bad. Um, there's different ways we can like play around with it as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's a good point. Cause like, I'm certainly not doing any one rep maxes. I'm certainly yeah. not lifting heavy. I mean, I can't even get into the gym. So that's a whole other aside and rant that I could go on is like, this has been the longest time I've spent away from the gym. And the one period of my life when I feel like I really, it, it would have made a pretty significant difference in my experience because I, you know, I've been somebody who goes to the gym for fun or for training my entire adult life. Um, and again, took it for granted that I could just go and lift weights four or five times a week for my entire life. And then during this one period when I was like, I just want to be the fittest, strongest, most capable, you know, person going into this incredible experience. And I, I got nothing. Like I got a home gym, which is good. And I'm doing the best I can. And it's, in a way it's been helpful to me because it has almost forced me to go back to these basics of breathing and mobility and body weight stuff that if I had access to a gym, I probably would have been like boring. Like, I don't want to do, you know, clamshells and like adductor stuff like boo, you know? So it's like actually been, I think quite helpful. Um, but it's also kind of frustrating because I, you know, I wanted to be like super hashtag fit pregnancy. And I'm like, it, you know, I'm going for a walk and heavy breathing and it's like a whole thing. So it's, it's an interesting, humbling experience. I'll say that. Um, oh, and it's, okay. it is hard to, there's something called, um, I don't know if you follow Brianna battles, but she talks yes. about like athlete brain. So this idea, right. Where it's like, if you do need to change your strategy, modify, you're not lazy. Like it's, it's nothing to do with that. It's like, it's almost 
it even kind of shows some of your athleticism to be like, okay, I can, you know, modify this and still get a lot out of it for my body. Um, the mindset in terms of athletes and that it's so, there's so much involved. And even it actually is so good prep for labor though, right? Like if you can work on that strategy in pregnancy, it's going to serve you during labor because it's going to also how I talked about like letting go and surrendering that is like, it's the best lesson to learn going into labor because the more you can let go. And for me, it's about like the more educated you can know about options um, different ways birth may happen, different um, choices you have in the process, how to advocate, how to ask questions, then you can go into labor and truly let go. I think when you're going in it with this kind of unknown, then it keeps that kind of level of like your body's like, I'm not really willing to let go because I don't really know how this is going to go. And no one can guarantee how your labor will go. But the more educated you can go into it, the easier it is to like surrender in the in the actual event of birth. Yeah, I love that. And you're right. I mean, it's funny, because it's something that in my own work that I do in my own practice, and like, working with um, like strength clients or, or coaching clients. And I talk about this because another this is an, an aside, but another, I think, struggle that a lot of women have with fitness and working out is feeling lazy when they take time off or when they have rest days or when they, you know, get to the gym and they aren't feeling it and they do something easier and they like beat themselves up over it. Right. And I talk a lot about the importance of recovery and how it's actually like that is a more elite athletic mindset to respect recovery and understand how important it is because that's when you get stronger. It's not just beating yourself up every day that gets you stronger. That's, that's not where it happens. Right. And so I think applying that to this as well and knowing like the adjustments that you're making and respecting what your body is telling you is not giving up. It's being intelligent. Um, and you know, paying attention to your body, which is a smart thing to do. So I love that. And I was going to say, it's going to prep you for postpartum. It's yeah. going to to it's going to get you in that mindset before you get there cuz then also kind of understanding and respecting the um the recovery period that it's not just 6 weeks. Yes, there's there's typically more you can do in 6 weeks than you're told. It's like this 0 to 100 mentality. There's stuff you can start before 6 weeks, but then there's so much healing going on beyond that 6 weeks and so if you can understand how to progressively build back um, if you already start that mindset in pregnancy, you're going to have a head start on going through that postpartum. Okay, good. All right. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to keep you too much longer. I could keep you all day, but because you touched on it, I would love for you to um, kind of briefly walk us through this um, prolapse situation because that's kind of the big the third one and I talked about like pelvic health and then we talked about the diastasis and this is another one that's like a bit of a horror story honestly um when you just sort of see the like black and white scary posts on social media about what that means and you think oh my goodness my organs are falling down through my body and this is so scary and um is this something that's going to happen to me when i push a baby out and how do i fix that that seems like a terrifying ordeal so maybe if you can walk me back on that one and Mm -hmm. talk a little bit about like what's happening there um and what we can do about it yeah so with prolapse so it's referring to the bladder uterus or rectum starting to lower so Actually, within the vaginal canal, it would just be the cervix or uterus, but the bladder is above the like 
um, front wall or anterior wall of the vagina. And then the rectum is on the other side of the back wall. So it could be any of those starting to lower down um, or drawing towards the opening. And then what most people hear about is when they go past. So there's different grades. So one and two is internal. So one, it's a little bit lower. You may or may not have symptoms, very common um, after vaginal birth or even talking about potentially taking grade one or stage one off the list because of how common it is. Um, two is more kind of at the opening, but internal. Three is when you're starting to notice that bulge go a bit more on the outside of the opening. And four, it's very obvious it's on the outside. Um, and so it is something I know you mentioned, it's like there's all the all this information and fearful information out there. I highly recommend anyone listening, follow pop-up lift on Instagram. It's by a pelvic health physio and fitness coach um, who have online courses, fantastic, very evidence-based information, um, which I know a lot of people do appreciate. And it's how I talk to people in clinic as well. So there are different things to it. So some people may experience a degree of prolapse, but have zero symptoms. They actually don't even know it's there. And there are other people who may have a grade one, the most mild, and they have significant symptoms. So it goes to show that symptoms and the stage of the prolapse may not be equal. Um, so it's, it's great for people to know there's so many ways to help manage symptoms. Um, a lot in terms of the clinic, I find clients are like very surprised how quickly we can change. And a lot of it too is undoing some of those myths of like, okay, you can't, especially my CrossFitters, they're like, okay, so I, so can I never like double under, I box jump, like, is this over? Like, do I have to take up swimming? And I'm like, nope. We actually can keep you doing a lot of what you'd love doing. And again, one of the clients this week, she's squatting heavier than she ever has. Um, and she was she experienced prolapse. And then we worked through things, used a lot of the breathing strategies we talked about. And she's like so excited and never her um, when she did seek out from her physician, they did recommend pelvic physio, which is great. Um so a lot of things can change with your symptoms um, and even things like it's to do with, yes, there are the pelvic floor muscles on the bottom that support the organs from the bottom, but it's also a pressure system from the top that you've heard me talk about so many times already. Um, so there's the pressure from the top, but also the ligaments from the top. Um, so there are changes we can make in terms of, yes, managing your pressure, changing um strength of the pelvic floor from the bottom, the ligaments themselves, that isn't something we can necessarily change. But that being said, there are so many other sides we can change. So symptoms can often change and be managed um, with pelvic physio, with something called also a pessary, some people find helpful, which is like an internal, it's like a, a silicone kind of dish. There's different shapes. It's almost like a um, like if you were to wear like a knee brace, it's kind of like an internal brace for your organs. I like to talk to people about. So some people find that helpful. Is that something that would be generally speaking, like a temporary measure while you work through other things? Or in some cases, is that like a forever Every Everyone is different. So some people, and it's not necessarily that you have prolapse and then you feel like you want a pessary. Everyone is different. So that's why it's good to know options. So some people I have used pessaries and they do it in, in combination with pelvic physio and it is a temporary thing. Other people are like, I actually like to just have it in every time I go to work out. I feel like I have a bit more support. Um, and then other people wear it long-term, other people short-term. So there's just so many variations. 
um, OBGYNs typically fit them and some pelvic physios do to have extra training to fit them. So just to know with prolapse, it's not, it's not a like all or none that everything is done. There is so much that can be helpful, but it's just, you really need that support up-to-date information and guidance. And then you can, you know, continue with what you love to doing, but you need that, that information of what's going on with you and what's going to help specifically for your symptoms. Okay. And so you said some people can be asymptomatic. Some people can physically see or feel Mm -hmm. um, that this is happening. Um, Other symptoms might just be like a feeling of heaviness or a feeling of kind of like drawing down in the like pelvis or the vagina. Um, If someone's having some of these symptoms and is thinking, I feel like that's what's going on with me. First thing, go to your doctor and then they will generally hopefully, um, advise you to maybe work with a a pelvic PT as well? Is that usually how it goes? Yeah, everyone is different. So, and again, because us being in Ontario, you can see a pelvic physio without necessarily a doctor's referral, but depending where you're listening in the world, that may be different. So yes, that could be a first step is to go to your doctor. Um, And it honestly, from my experience, it depends on the physician of how they actually check Um, and the information they give you. So for some people, they just go straight for pelvic physio because we do more of a detailed assessment and provide more information, but it depends necessarily um, where you live. But if you do go to your doctor first, if you are dismissed, if they say there's no issue, like move on kind of thing, and you don't feel heard, I highly recommend getting another opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, And if possible, yeah, to see a pelvic physio are our assessment will likely give you more information, but there are amazing care providers and physicians that do refer. So it kind of, it's an individual um, situation. Okay. I feel like I remember reading somewhere, I don't know if it was France or somewhere in Europe that was making it like, not the word mandatory, but it was like becoming like a standard of care for women postpartum to go see a pelvic PT. And I'm like, we need to get like more on that train because it's one of those things. There might be a few people who have zero need for it, but I think more people would benefit from it than not. And I would even say, again, if anybody who has continued to listen to this, who is not a pregnant or postpartum woman, thank you. But you know, men and women, people who are not pregnant, not looking to become pregnant, didn't have a baby. I mean, I just feel like anybody who pays attention to their body is, you know, wants to be proactive about their health, um, would benefit from seeing a pelvic PT. So I would love for that to become more of like a standard thing. Like we're just going to do this proactively and, and, you know, cause I don't want to wait until there's a problem. I want to like, you know, yeah. fix it before it starts. Um, Okay. So I I won't keep you too much longer that you have packed so much information into an hour. I really appreciate it. This has been so helpful. Um, for folks who are in Ontario, like, can you only work with Ontario people at this point? So in terms of for physio specific, it is only Ontario. We're only licensed within our province, but if you are pregnant, um, and you do want that step-by-step guidance, I do have my bump to birth online course, which is accessible to anyone in the world. And there's group support, um, within that course as well. And anybody on any, in any part of their pregnancy can benefit from that course. Like, could you start when you're four weeks, 36 weeks, whatever? 
Yeah, you can start at any point. I do say because um, there is a portion about, you know, really, if you can understand your pelvic floor earlier, it can help with a more comfortable pregnancy pelvic floor symptoms. So starting earlier can be helpful because you get that benefit to it. Um, but yeah, you can really start at, uh, at any in any trimester. And then there's also postpartum recovery information. So you can actually learn all that before you even give birth. So you're prepared ahead of time. Great. Uh, what about women who are not pregnant, may in the future, not really like super into it at the moment? Um, what are what's like a very high level um, piece of advice you would give them to just sort of be proactively paying attention and giving some love to their like pelvic health? Yeah, I would say, I mean, like you mentioned, actually, if you can see a public physio, even just for an assessment, if you've got no concerns, um, but you want to know that is going to give you information. But there's also lots of online programs as well that are geared towards either um, just like general pelvic health kind of pelvic floor 101. Because if you can get that information ahead of time and learn to connect to those muscles a bit differently, or even now you might be like, oh, I didn't even know that that symptom I had could be pelvic floor related. I would say the more you can learn about before, it's really going to serve you well if you do want to become pregnant. But if you don't, then at any point in life to get that kind of head start on learning about the part of our body no one talks about. I wish we talked about this in like elementary school, high school, like you could really help people understand their body better much earlier in life. I think we're we're behind on that. That needs to, to get moving. Yeah. But people like you are helping. So I appreciate that. And also postpartum people, you could be t five years down the line, 10 years down the line, still go see a PT. It's not too late. You can always improve symptoms, right? Like, no. yeah, no time yeah. limit on this. No, no. Okay. Awesome. All right, Anita, thank you so much. You have made me feel a lot better. Um, I'm going to uh, make sure I link to your podcast and the Bump to Birth course in the show notes because uh, just the amount of free information you put in the podcast is just incredible. It's been super helpful to me. So um, is there anything else? Where, where can folks find you like online and on social media as well? Yeah, so you can typically find me at Holistic Health Physio, Instagram, Facebook, and also my website. Awesome. All right. Thank you. Um, maybe, maybe sometime in the future, um, will you can check me out and figure out what my issues are. Cause maybe it's not the, maybe it's not the misaligned pelvis. Maybe I've got a whole host of other problems you can help me with. So maybe, maybe we'll do a follow-up podcast if we ever are, uh, delve into that. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Nita. Thank you. That's it for the masterclass on pelvic health with Anita. Thank you so much, Anita, for taking the time to go through that with us. I hope you found it helpful. I hope you learned a lot. Um, and I hope that it was empowering and not scary and not intimidating. I know this stuff can be very overwhelming and, and crazy, but I have found that the more research I do, the better I feel about um, the topic. So I hope that you feel the same way. And if you do, I would love for you to leave a review Tell me what you think, rate, review, subscribe, all that stuff so I can keep this podcast going. It means a lot. And do me a favor, check out our show sponsor, Paleo Valley at paleovalley.com. They make my new favorite snacks. I've been eating them 
throughout my pregnancy and beyond. Uh, my favorites are their 100% grass-fed and fermented beef sticks. They make turkey um, meat sticks as well. And they have these superfood bars made with bone broth protein. They're packed with a bunch of superfoods, like plant-based superfoods that, let's be honest, I would not be eating otherwise, like broccoli and stuff like that, like you know, greens. I'm not eating that unless you're hiding it generally. Um, but they still really taste good. Um, the, the double chocolate chip are my favorite. They've got new flavors that are amazing. Um, this company really doesn't cut corners. I interviewed the co-founder. Um, so you can check that out if you haven't already, they really walk the talk and combine the best that plants and animals have to offer for our health, which I'm all about because, I love eating both plants and animals. So again, that's paleovalley.com. Use the code MMR to save 15% on anything you buy. They have a ton of other products besides snacks. They've got a lot of gut health promoting um, supplements that are really great. Um, I just have been crushing the snacks lately. But if you use the code MMR, you'll get 15% on anything. So do that. And as always, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at the muscle maven or send me an email or learn more about what I'm up to on my website at ashleyvanhouten.com. All of this is in the show notes. That's it. Have a wonderful day, guys. Thank you for listening. See you here next week. 